We'll be reading verses 1 through 6. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. If you are willing and able, let's stand for the reading of God's Word at this time. Ephesians 4, verse 6. Hear now the word of the true and living God. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would take these words, sink them into our hearts, that we might see clearly what it is you are calling us to in this text, and how it may show up in our lives. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. It's been over a year since my wife had her injury, which required brain surgery. And what was involved with that, of course, was they had to cut out a part of her skull and remove the epidural hematoma and then put the skull back in and they used these little titanium pieces um, that are not detected through the metal detectors at the airport we found out. But that's, that's what was used to put back together that bit of bone in her skull and as was announced, injury has once again visited our home as our middle son uh, fractured his femur. And Lord willing, we'll get more information. Hopefully tomorrow uh, they're able to go down to Valley Children's about that and find out w one course of action could be uh, that he also will require surgery and probably put some bit of metal in there to put the bone back together. I'm sure we go around the room and you have your own story about, uh, and it maybe varies in degree of severity, uh, but uh, you may have injured something in the past and it required some kind of surgery. You know, I see these uh, just awful injuries that occur in football or it could be any sport really, and, and some of them are, are very gruesome and they require very invasive surgery and a, a plate and steel and uh, screws and all this stuff. Because what happens is there's an injury, something is broken, something is shattered, and a doctor is required to come in and put some uh, piece of metal or, or steel or what have you to repair what was broken. We were broken and shattered because of sin. The great physician came to us, and he has put back together what was broken. And for us, 
as a church, the Holy Spirit serves as kind of that, that plate that holds together what was broken and shattered. You see, Paul writing in Ephesians 4 to Jews and Gentiles, where there had been rupture in relationship, God through Christ has reconciled the Jews and Gentiles to one another, and then he has put the steel plate of the Holy Spirit over that once ruptured and broken and shattered relationship to hold it together. This is why Paul says in verse 3 that we are eager to maintain. You didn't create it. We didn't create it. The Holy Spirit is the author of that unity. We simply maintain what God has brought about, and we are eager to maintain this. Chapter 4, of course, uh, I've mentioned uh, a couple few times already as we've gone through this series of lessons, basic Christianity, using the book of Ephesians to provide us the, the core essential elements of the Christian religion, the Christian faith. I've mentioned that the first half, chapters 1 through 3 of this book, deal with the doctrine. And we've been presented with a number of beautiful doctrines uh, that focus on, well, uh, on the one hand, sin. That's a very ugly doctrine. But it brings with it salvation and the grace of God and reconciliation and redemption and the work that God has accomplished in Christ in reconciling Jews and Gentiles into that one body, that one body reconciled to God. We saw uh, last week this prayer that Paul concludes that whole section with, a Trinitarian prayer, a prayer that's focused on God, the one true and only God, and making several petitions uh, therein. Therefore, you catch that in verse 1? Chapter 4? Therefore, in light of the doctrine that has been laid out in chapters 1, 2, and 3, therefore, now Paul leans into our duty as Christians in chapters 4, 5, and 6. He's going to get intensely practical of what does it look like to live the Christian life. By the way, this is not super Christian life that only a few people are even able to attain. What Paul breaks down in chapters 4, 5, and 6 is simply the normal Christian life. That's all it is. This, this, is, this is the normative way of living as a Christian. And again, it, it crawls right into our everyday life. We've seen just how rich we are in light of what God has done in Christ and through the Spirit. Now, here are our responsibilities before God. Therefore, I, Paul writes here, a prisoner for the Lord. We've talked about how he, the way he writes this, it's as if he's, he's the only prisoner there is. He's not, but... And we also need to emphasize here, he could, as an apostle, he could very easily pull rank and say, you need to straighten up and fly right because I'm an apostle. He doesn't do that. In fact, he takes one of the lowest titles for himself as simply the prisoner for the Lord. He says, I urge you. This is a, an earnest request that Paul is making of his brothers and sisters. It's an urgent request he's even making all the way to us today. I urge you to walk. Your translation may say live. That's okay. The walking is a metaphor for our everyday life. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling 
to which you have been called. The calling is the high calling of God. It is the holy calling. That's what it's called in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9. It is a holy calling that comes from the holy God. It is our heavenly calling because it comes from God who dwells in heaven. This high, holy, heavenly calling is the call that comes to us through the gospel. And Paul says, you have been called by this calling. This calling has come to us and it has done what it was set forth by God to do. It called us out of darkness into light. It called us out of our lostness into salvation by faith in Christ. It has called us out of our miserable state into the glorious grace of God. In light of this calling, Paul says, walk worthily. And this worthy walk that we are called to has a number of different facets to it and aspects to it that Paul, again, it, it's, it's as if he's holding up the diamond of the normal Christian life in all of its beauty, in all of its splendor. And he keeps turning it over, and as the light comes into that diamond of the Christian life, ah, you have this light reflected here and that light, and it's, there's different shades and different hues to it. So as he does this, he's going to unpack various aspects of the Christian walk. You've been called and gifted by Christ. That brings with it certain obligations. You don't live like you used to. Now you've learned Christ, and that brings with it a new life. And so how you deal with things like anger, you handle that differently. How you used to live as, well, uh, a thief, you don't steal any longer. And there's a new way that you live. When it comes to maybe how you used to harbor certain feelings of ill will toward other people, in Christ and by the Spirit, you, need to, you deal with that differently. How you deal with unforgiveness. How you deal and how you live in the things that you say, the words that come out of your mouth. How you live as a husband, how you live as a wife, how you live as a child, how you live as a parent. There's the slave-master relationship that shows up. How do you live as an employee or as an employer? You are at war. How do you wage war victoriously in this world? All of these things are things that Paul is going to break down. And again, this is just the normal Christian life. This is basic Christianity. What he's dealing with here is obedience. Because you have been graced with the grace of God, you've been called through the gospel with the high, holy, heavenly calling, you obey. And with the Spirit living within you, now you have new power in order to obey God. Whereas, again, previously you were disobedient to God. Now, with the Spirit dwelling within you, empowering you, you seek to obey. And that is your response to the grace 
that God has graced you with. You see, God acts first. We respond. God calls us through the gospel. We align our walk accordingly in light of that calling. You could see chapters 1 through 3 as here's how God has acted in history with Christ. And now chapters 4, 5, and 6, here are the obligations to live a holy lifestyle in your day-to-day walk with him. What I want you to see here and what Paul is at pains to present is how the right thinking about God and Christ and the Holy Spirit and sin and salvation and all that, right thinking and right beliefs go hand in hand and they are inseparable from a right practice. They go together. The big fancy way of saying it is orthodoxy and orthopraxy are inseparable. They go together. Right beliefs, right living, right practice, they go together. And Paul, again, he's at pains to closely tie them together. The problem that seems to have been present with the church then and can be present in the church today is that many Christians, well, many, some, some Christians have this million-dollar salvation, and yet they're only offering a five-cent response to the grace of God. This is why Paul says, I urge you, I earnestly appeal to you. The old King James says, I beseech you, walk in a manner worthy of this calling. Million-dollar salvation. You see what God has done for you in Christ, what He has accomplished, how He has applied this perfect work of Christ to your life. He saved you to the uttermost, perfectly. Walk worthily. Were these Christians unimpressed? Are we unimpressed with the salvation that God has given? Are we bored with it? Are we kind of apathetic where we just really don't care that much about it? Again, you have to answer this in your own heart of hearts, just like they did back then. And here's, here's how subtle sin is. You ready? You see, sometimes we get caught up in those sins that we tolerate, those commonly tolerated sins. You know, I, I can get up here and talk about, you know, all of the major sins that we see in the world today. But here's Paul, and guess where he starts? With a a walk worthy of your calling. He says, verse 2, with all humility. The antithesis of humility, of course, is pride. That prideful boasting, you have no grounds for boasting. No grounds for being prideful. Like, I, I cracked the Rubik's Cube of salvation, so therefore God... Look how great and good I am. Yeah, right. Who do you think you are? We've already been reminded back in chapter 2, we were these dead sinners worthy. We were by nature children of wrath. And it is only because of salvation by grace through faith in Christ that we're now children of God. That is absolutely humbling to us. It ought to be. And humility involved in this is thinking rightly about yourself. 
we should not think too lowly of ourselves so that, you know, we do harm to ourselves or anything like that. We also shouldn't think too highly of ourselves either, which is a call from elsewhere in Paul's writing. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. We are to think rightly about ourselves in relation to God and in relation to one another. That's the call here for humility. Think rightly about yourself and then live accordingly. But then he goes further and he says, with all humility and gentleness. And there's an aspect of these uh, various qualities that ought to be present in a Christian, which you can't get there on your own. You need the Holy Spirit's help in doing this. I say that because gentleness, guess where this shows up? Over in Galatians chapter 5. In fact, if you turn back a mm, page or two to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and following, Paul breaks down the fruit of the Spirit. And guess what's on the list of the fruit of the Spirit? Gentleness. Same word. This gentleness is something that the Spirit must produce. It's a gift from Him. Which means sometimes we're not very gentle. Again, here's one of those commonly tolerated sins where we, we kind of think it's okay sometimes to be jerks and, and less than gentle. And we need all gentleness. And again, it's the flesh that wants to run around and give people a piece of your mind and tell them off and do all kinds of... It's the Spirit who comes and speaks a better word and cultivates this gentleness within us. Gentleness. Meekness is another synonym for it. It's a, this is a disposition where you are thoughtful and considered about others. This is something that you know, as, as I, I work with uh, some of the male students over at Davis High, this is something I see a lot of the times is I, I, I circle around to the question of if, if someone were doing this to you, whether you knew it or not, would you like it? And a lot of the times, they well, no, I, I wouldn't. Well, how do you think you should proceed with this then? And, and they come up with the solution. Same thing's true for us, brothers and sisters. When it comes to gentleness, it's we need to be thinking about others and others focused. And, and here's the thing. A lot of this is rooted in you got to kill self, right? That, that selfish aspect of us. One writer said, self kills peace, which is what we're after here. Because I need to insist on my way of doing things, and I'm going to put my foot down, and I'm going to... As I said last week, self must die. Self must be put to death. We need to crucify self. These are all things, again, Christ calls us to in the gospel. Furthermore, with all humility, gentleness, with patience. Oh, boy. You want to talk about a commonly tolerated sin? Impatience. You know, we, what's, what's taking so long, right? You stand in a grocery store line long enough, and you see, you see people. And sometimes, probably more often than we like to admit, I wish they'd hurry up, right? Coupons? <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. You've been there too. Yeah, you. With patience. Patience. And again, it's the flesh that sits there going, oh, 
they hurry up. But it's, it's the Holy Spirit who comes and, again, speaks a better word and cultivates within us patience. And we, we're going to need the Spirit's help with this one. Patience. Someone describes it as a long holding out of the mind before it gives room to action or passion. In other words, think before you act. Think, and, and, and maybe you need to think a while on it, right? And you, need, you allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate that proper course of action or those proper uh, emotions that come out, right? Patience. And by the way, uh, we can talk about grocery stores and we can talk about DMV lines and all that but right here because that's the context for this is with the church, with our brothers and sisters. You know, when it comes to people coming out of sinful lifestyles, man, sometimes we want to we rush them through the process. But again, how did God deal with you? You see, you didn't come to your level of sanctification overnight. He's been working on you a while. Working on me a while. Patience. Bearing with one another. Notice this. Bearing with one another in love. By my count, there's about five different qualities here. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. That's forbearance. And then also love. And all of these are leading to this discussion about unity and being united with one another. See, these are foundational qualities Two are eager to maintain the unity that the Spirit's brought. If we don't have these, guess what we're going to do with the unity the Spirit's brought into our congregation? We're going to start dismantling stuff and tearing it apart, and we're no longer eager to maintain it. Now it's in disrepair because of our pride or our lack of gentleness or our impatience. We haven't been bearing with one another. We aren't loving one another as we ought to. This verse here shows us that when it comes to basic Christianity, it's about our relationship to one another. It's a vital component. You see, God's intention is that Christians live with one another in peace and in unity. That's the divine intention. And you're going to disrupt that because you lack patience? Or because you're not loving your brother, your sister as you ought? Or because, again, the root of this is you want what you want more than what God wants? See, in the grand scheme of things, now we start to get the perspective on it. All of a sudden, this particular thing that I was so focused on, hmm, maybe it's not as big as I thought it was. You see, Christianity is relational by nature. I think I've said before, there are no spiritual Rambos. There's no spiritual Chuck Norrises out here who are just one-man armies. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it on my own. We are part of a community of people who've been redeemed. That's the nature of the church. It's full of people, right? It's relational, and that means we interact with one another. And so we need humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and love that is ultimately the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we ever need to be coming to God's word and then reflecting on it with, how, Lord, how, how can I seek to think of myself rightly in this particular circumstance? How can I show love to my brother, my sister in this circumstance? We need to get rid of self-centeredness. 
and hostility. There's no room for combativeness within the church. We're, we're fighting one another. We have enough we have enough of a war on our hands with the world and the flesh and the devil. He's going to talk about that war in chapter 6. We don't need to be fighting one another. Then also carelessness has no place here. Carelessness and thoughtlessness that goes along with it. Where we, eh, you know, take it or leave it. What are you going to do? No, we need to carefully think about one another and give consideration to each other. Because again, this is, this is ultimately focused on God's work within the church. Verse 3, we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's why I started the way that I did earlier. That bond of peace, that's, that's the work that the Holy Spirit brings into the church because of the accomplished work of Christ on the cross. You see, when Christ dies on the cross, He... he uh, brings to fruition and realization all the resources that the Spirit's going to need in order to perfectly apply that work to the people of God. And that's what the Spirit is doing in due time throughout history. And He's done it to you, and He's done it to you, and He's done it to me in applying, again, that work that Christ has accomplished and the ongoing uh, process of making us look more and more like Jesus. You see, one of the things that we're going to see as we get deeper into chapter 4 is that the goal of the Christian life that Paul is, is, is going to emphasize here is you need to grow up and mature and look like Jesus. I think sometimes we hyperfixate and hyperfocus on the ultimate end and goal, which is God glorifying himself by glorifying a people at the end of time, right? In other words, we get focused on, we get to go to heaven when it's all said and done. You got to realize God's at work in the here and now in your life and in mine. And the goal of the Christian life is look like Jesus. Uh, right here. Um, in verse 13, same chapter, Ephesians 4.13, notice. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Do you hear it? That's the goal of the Christian life. That's what you're in hot pursuit of Tuesday mornings and Thursday afternoons and Saturday nights is to look like Jesus. You know why? Because that's the ultimate end in the there and the then. That is when we will be fully and finally conformed to the image of Christ in the resurrection. But in the meantime, God through His Spirit is at work in order to bring that about. And so we have this unity of the Spirit and as a united body, we're helping one another look like Jesus. You know, that this whole business about love, uh, forbearing with one another in love. You know what love is? It is the overarching singular desire to see Christ formed in your brother, your sister, in another person. 
That is what we are about here when it comes to the unity of the Spirit and maintaining that. You maintain that by helping your brother, helping your sister look like Jesus and, and allowing them to help you to look like Jesus as well. You see, verse 2 flows right into verse 3 and that bond of peace. If we want peace within the church, self must die and Christ must live in us and through us. Now, when Paul talks about unity, verses 4 through 6 make it evident that he does not mean unity at all cost, unity no matter what, so that you start pitching and throwing out all these core essential elements that make the Christian faith the Christian faith. And so verses 4 through 6 provide us with seven ones. And these ones are things that are vitally essential you cannot compromise on them. And it's these seven ones that also form a core of what is required to be a Christian. And so he starts off, there is one body. Body, body. Oh, yeah, that's right. We've already come across this earlier in chapter 1. We've already talked, to, we've read this, uh, this morning already, verse 15, about the head, which is Christ. We're going to get more of this when we get to chapter 5 about uh, the, the body of Christ and he's the head. Let's talk about the church. There is one body. That is, there's one church, one glorious universal church the world over. There's been one body since Paul's day. There's one body today. And it is comprised of people from every tribe and language and nation and people group. We've got brothers and sisters the world over and across time and space. There's one body. And so we, we proclaim one church. Now, does, does that mean that um, every church that doesn't have a sign out front that says Church of Christ is, uh, you know, jeopardized, compromised, and on their way to eternity away from God? Not necessarily. And by the way, that also goes the other way. Just because a church has a sign outside that says Church of Christ, but God has His people, and and they have existed across time and space, and they exist today. There's one body. There's also one Spirit. Capital S here, I think, is correct. This is the Holy Spirit. That Spirit that is vital for that unity that we've been talking about, that peace within the church. He's the one who has accomplished and brings that peace about in the here and the now. He, you know, just, just as, you know, we read in James chapter 2 that the body without the spirit is dead. The same thing's true for the church, which is the body of Christ. If there's no spirit, there's no life. Which, by the way, when you start denying the present reality of the work of the spirit in Christians today... Careful there, brother. Careful there, sister. Because we need that spirit if we're going to have new spiritual life in this body. Just as you were called to the one hope, uh, hope here, the confident expectation that the grand, glorious purposes of God will be ultimately realized, that Christ really is inheriting the nations as we speak, but also the hope of heaven and eternity with God, 
that there's more to life than just this life, that there's more in store in the there and the then. And that hope belongs to your call, called through the gospel, that calling that we mentioned earlier in verse 1, tied right back here. It's that calling that gives us this hope. When we reject the call, we're rejecting that hope. One Lord, Jesus, okay, right? By the way, not just any Jesus, the Jesus the apostles knew. John makes this explicit in, well, in his gospel, in his epistles, in the Revelation. The Lord Jesus Christ that the apostles knew. One faith, faith in Christ, right? Not just faith in faith or faith in myself. You've got to believe in yourself. No, no, I, I want to believe in Christ, all right? Uh, and he's the one who makes me capable for these things. Um, one faith in him uh, could also involve the, the whole body of truth that's, uh, that makes up the Christian faith, but it seems here, based on Paul's usage of this in Ephesians, he has in view here, again, our faith in Christ. One immersion, that's the proper translation of the term there. One immersion, uh, and that's into the possession of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, something Jesus in the Great Commission talks about. Uh, one immersion into Christ. We put Christ on, we're baptized, we're immersed into Him. Uh, it's the immersion uh, that points us to the reality of our sins are all forgiven by the blood of Christ, washed away in His blood. Uh, one immersion, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. He is the supreme uh, being, the Father, uh, God the Father, the fountain of all being, um, that He is overall points to the fact that He uh, is supremely sovereign over time, space, history, the way things shake out. He's through all, that is, He's providentially at work in the world to see to it that things fall out and shake out the way they're supposed to. And he's in all in the sense that he sustains everything. That if he were to remove his sustaining hand, we would blink out of existence. Okay? One writer put it this way. It is the Christian belief that we live in a God-created, God-controlled, God-sustained, and God-filled world. And so these are the seven ones that Paul highlights here. Very interesting. I mean, we could talk about uh, some other things. Like, where's, there's no mention of Lord's Supper here. Kind of interesting. And, you know, we can come up with a, a list of other things that maybe we would think about as one. The thing is, Paul gives us by Holy Spirit, being moved by the Holy Spirit, he gives us what we need here. Uh, and so this is, this is sufficient here to provide a foundation and a basis for unity as well. Uh, again, to circle back to humility, guess what? You didn't come up with this. This is given to you by God, which is all the more humbling. Um, but here's the thing. Should someone deny one of these or several of these or all of these ones, that would bring with it an interruption in unity and a disruption in unity. For example, should someone deny the necessity of the church. You know, I love God, but eh, the church, hmm, not a real big fan. We should respond that, well, actually, there's one body. 
That's, that's Christ's body. And indeed, a little later on in chapter 5, that's his bride. You can't, you can't slight the bride and expect blessings from the, bride's, uh, the bridegroom. Should someone deny that uh, the Holy Spirit is an actual person of the Trinity? That the Holy Spirit is more like a force or something like that? We should respond that, like the Father and the Son, the Spirit is a personal being as well. Just later, a little later on in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul's going to talk about in verse 30 about grieving the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve a force. How do you grieve electricity, right? But you can grieve a person. And that's the nature of the Holy Spirit. Should someone say, you know, all there is is this world, you've got to get what you can, and when you die, you just go off into ex- uh, non-existence, right? Kind of like you were before you were born. After you die, you just go back into non-existence. We should respond that actually, no, someday we will be with the Lord. And we'd sure like for you to be there as well. Should someone deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ, like those guys were over in Jude, verse 4, we should reply that no, no, we do not deny him. In fact, we live for him and we should take issue, just as Jude did in his day. Go over and read what Jude says about that uh, a little later on. Should someone claim that, you know, all faiths are just different roads up the mountain to God. One faith is as good as another. We should be quick to reply, actually, no, there's only one faith, which is in Christ for salvation. One faith uh, by grace, through faith, in Christ. All, we, need to, we need to have a response for that. Should someone deny the necessity of baptism or deny the necessity of immersion into Christ? We should likewise take issue with that. And if someone should claim that there's a plurality of gods or say something like, well, as God once was, we now are, and as God now is, we will be, or should they deny that there even is a God? we should be quick to reply with, well, there's actually one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. You see how these, these ones provide a foundation and a, and a unifying factor for the church, on the one hand. We rally around these things, and we, we pledge allegiance to these one things with one another, but they also act as guardrails to safeguard us against what we hear from the world or uh, the lies that have been propagated by the devil himself in the world or our own fleshly desires for something other than what God has given us. That's the nature of these seven ones. And so we see one, 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 one. All this is emphasizing how, again, what was shattered, what was broken, God in Christ by the Spirit has put back together. He has put the bond of the unity of the Holy Spirit over this. And we, brothers and sisters, because we have the Spirit living within us, we are eager to maintain that. We are eager to walk in a manner worthy of this calling to which we've been called. Let's commit this to prayer.
Lord God, we confess that there are times when we do tolerate sins and harbor certain attitudes that are unbecoming of our Christian calling. Help us by the Spirit to put those to death. And Father, we pray that we would continue to pledge our allegiance and our loyalty to the unity of the body, which has been brought about by the Spirit, by what you have done in Christ. But also, Father, that with gentleness and respect, we would let others know about the hope that we have in Christ. We pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. God has done in Christ. My friend, he, he has done that so that we might have salvation. And that, that one Lord that's talked about there is the same Lord who went to the cross for sin and for sinners. In a moment, we're going to be led in a song, and that is designed to encourage you, my friend, to come forward. If you have not yet put your faith in Christ, I encourage you to do so, to turn away from sin, to turn to Christ, to uh, put your faith in Him, that is, uh, to show Him loyalty, choose solidarity with Him, to be baptized, that one immersion that we talked about, be baptized where you are united with Christ, all your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit and you are raised to live new life with Him. Again, we can help you with that this morning. But brothers and sisters, those of us who have done that, as you consider your walk, is it worthy of the calling, the high, holy, heavenly calling that you've received? Did you identify mm, some of those commonly tolerated sins we talked about? And by the way, we're just getting started, all right? If you didn't hear yours, it's coming, all right? This morning, as you evaluate your walk, maybe there's something you want the help that comes from your brothers and sisters, the help that comes from God, and we can lift you up in prayer to our Father in heaven. Again, when Russ leads us, you know that's your opportunity as well to come forward and share these things that are on your heart. Maybe it's something of a personal nature. You want a private setting. One of our shepherds can meet you in the conference room, make your way over there, and they'll meet you there, do there what we do here, surround you with love, and lift you up in prayer to our Father in heaven. Maybe it's unrelated to what we've talked about, but something that's been weighing upon your heart, your mind, something emotional, spiritual, mental, physical, what have you. The lesson is yours. The invitation is open. Won't you come right now while we stand and as we sing?